Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Hey guys, welcome back to On The Back Bar. We've got another episode here and I want to wish you all a very happy new year. Uh, 2020, wow, start of a new decade. I hope you've got some fun things planned. We've got some interesting guests ahead of us. We had a short hiatus over the Christmas period, but that's because we want to spend time with friends and family. So our first guest for this new year is Nico DeSoto, quite a famous bartender, which I'm sure many of you know. So Nico started off in France, uh, he grew to popularity by winning the most influential bartender in 2014. Uh, he's now known throughout the world for the three bars he runs, Mace in New York, uh, Danico, and Kaido as well. I'd also just like to mention that we actually record this before Christmas, so we talk a bit about his uh, Christmas menu at Mace, which is quite interesting actually, so yeah, don't be too confused about that. He's also known as the Pandan King, which you'll find out in the show. So I hope you all enjoy. There's another guest next week, which we'll find out at the end of the show if you keep listening. And yeah, enjoy. Nico DeSoto, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Great. And I know you've just traveled back to New York. How's the weather over there? Uh, the weather is a bit cold. I mean, it's not winter, winter yet. Uh, but uh, after spending a month in Southeast Asia, uh, yeah, for sure, it's a, there's a bit of difference. Uh, so now you have to put different clothes. And, uh, but it's fun. I like winter as well in New York. I see. Talking about New York uh, and winter, you've just launched your Christmas menu at Mace, yeah, right? Yeah, we, we just did it uh, on Monday. So that's the, usually we start uh, on Black Friday, but this year Black Friday is like almost at the end of the month. I think it's uh, on the 28th, 29th. So we decided to start a few days before. So this is quite popular and I know many people in New York go mad for it. Can you tell us a bit about your inspiration for the Christmas menu you do every year? Well, you know, like it's um, it, it's all starts, you know, when we in 2014, we had the location to open space. It was a bar called uh, Louis 649 in East Village. And you know how it goes, you know, you get the space and you think you're going to open soon, but construction are delayed, everything is delayed. So constructions were supposed to start in October, November. We had finally date mid, mid-December to start. But Greg, uh, Greg Baum, uh, my partner, who's the owner of Cocktail Kingdom, he told me, uh, his, his mother told, told, told him, like, guys, you shouldn't start the construction in, a, in December because anyway, the half of the time they will be uh, off. Uh, why don't you just rent the whole space and, uh, and start in January or do a pop-up? And I told Greg, fuck, a pop-up, that's a really good idea. So we, we look for a name. Like I, I found a name of Miracle on 9th Street because the bar was on 9th Street. Uh, doing the 12 drinks of Christmas. Uh, so, you know, like it was very fun. 
for me, especially we were, we were waiting to open the bar. Uh, so I was kind of, uh, you know, like missing being behind the bar and creating. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, we could we could staple all the Christmas shit we wanted because the bar, uh, we were we would destroy everything after that. So we just went to a big warehouse in uh, New Jersey, bought a lot of Christmas decoration, basically put it everywhere. Uh, we did a Christmas playlist, which is not very hard to, to set up, but a bit annoying after one month, I have to tell you, uh, of listening to music. But, and then that's it, you know, and, uh, and uh, we so we start. Uh, I was behind a bar with uh, Chase, one of my bartenders from ECC. And uh, after a few days, it started getting crazy, like, uh, like you know, a line, one hour, two hours to get in. And and that was such a huge success that we decided to do it every uh, December. Uh, maze because it's a huge source of revenue, you know, like, uh, it's like almost like time eight, what you do on normal months. So it's insane. And on this side, Greg, Greg, uh, Greg with Cocktail Kingdom, his department, create a department uh, called Miracle Pop-Ups. And uh, so I'm, I'm involved in that, like I'm making the, some of the drinks uh, with uh, Joanne, who's doing the rest. And uh, Cocktail Kingdom sell the concept to now, I think this year, to over, over 150 locations around the world. So it's pretty crazy, yeah? Right, okay. So you're currently running three bars. Um, we have Mace, Danico, and Kaido. Yes, but you had quite humble beginnings. You mentioned ECC, Experimental Cocktail Club. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you started your career and how you got to here? Uh, so it, it was a bit of an accident, you know. <laughs> I was uh, I, I had a computer science degree. Uh, I was, you know, in my twenties and uh, I was studying uh, uh, nutrition science. Um, and uh, my dream was to go to Australia, uh, but obviously, you know, it's a big trip from France. It's expensive, and you're not able to work there. It's very, I'm not going to go there for one week. So, but there really is a visa called working holiday visa uh, that was a bit late in France compared to you know England and other countries. Uh, and since that day, I closed I closed my books and I said I'm going to save and go to Australia for a year. And there I needed a job. You know, I needed a job in Australia, and I was like, why not? You know, bartending. It's a cool job. You know, you 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 drink. You you at night. You drink. You meet women. I mean, it's a party and working at the same time. But I didn't, know, I didn't know at all the whole world of cocktail. I didn't know classics. I didn't know the good quality spirit. So I discover a whole world and uh, and I get a passion, you know, like most of us, uh, about that world. And then start working in better and better bar. I used to work at. Uh, I worked for the experimental group for a while um, in Paris. I opened uh, the one in London. I opened the one in New York. And after that, I start doing my own things. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I know you've won a few awards for your time. Uh, 2014 was the most influential bartender in France. Yeah, that was a cocktail spirit. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a good one. I was happy to, to have that. Um, yeah. And Kaido won something recently with Eater, if that's right. Kaido, Kaido won, uh, yeah, number one in Miami by Eater. Uh, I, I get lost, to be honest, with, like, you know, Mace was number, number one in time, in time out. Uh, we got nominated at Tales, we got nominated uh, Danico as well, but uh, uh, awards at Tales, we never won anything. Uh, we got, uh, they call me the DiCaprio of the, the, the Tales of the Cocktails. I got nominated many times, never won anything. So I have, I have no plate at home of the, those famous plates, but we got nominated a few times for all the bars, and you know, like it's it's such a huge uh, market with so many good bars and so many talented people. Being nominated is already a lot. Yeah. So what's it like juggling three bars at once in different locations around the world? Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle, but it can go very well or it can go very bad. It depends if all the problems arrive at the same time. Uh, the main thing is to have, I have three different partners. So Brad Kilgore, the chef, is my partner in Cairo in Miami. Uh, Greg Bond is my partner 
in uh, New York, and I have my two friends, Julian and Alex, who are my partner in Paris. Uh, the three plays have their own uh, structure and accountants and stuff like that. So all that I don't have to, to, to care about because it's all taken care of by my partners. Uh, now on the creative side and the trained staff, it, it's, I really have to go a good manager, you know, like that. If you don't have a good staff, then then it's impossible to do. Like, uh, uh, luckily I have good teams in all the locations. I have good bar manager that know, you know, how to, to, to do. And the only thing is it would be the drinks, uh, but I never push my staff. I mean, I never say, okay, you have to put drinks on the menu. I, I'm able to create all the drinks of, of the menu all year long. Um, at, at Maze, for the first time, one of our bartenders put a drink on the last menu. At Kaido, it's all mine. And uh, and at Danico, like the team is doing a really good job. So sometimes they have more drink than me on a menu. So it's it's as they want. You know, it's not a pressure. If they want to put drink, they present to me. And and uh, and if they're good, we we work on it. Uh, but if not, I just put the drink. It's, and and on my, you know, I, I prefer like to to have a good team, a good energy, and, and, and a good service, uh, then, uh, then, you know, the drinks is not a problem. So as long as that is going well, to have, like, uh, like good bartenders giving good service and replicating the drinks, that's all it matters to me. And, and uh, Thibaut and uh, Danico, my bar manager, is, is, is very good in being, being very helpful. So without them, I couldn't do that. It would be in, impossible to have three bars in two different countries, three different cities. Sure. And for our listeners, could you explain a bit about the concept for each bar? So mace, mace is quite simple, and you know it's uh, it's uh, it's based on spices. Uh, mace is uh, the name of the spice. I mean, some people think it's a pepper spray or a medieval weapon, but no, it's not at all. It's like uh, the skin that surrounds the nutmeg. And uh, and I, I I really wanted the name of the spice like very easy to understand and pronounce in whatever you German, Swedish, uh, Indian, you know, like something. Sometimes you have a name that's in the local language, and I think it's hard to memorize. Uh, when you have something short like mace, I think it's easier. Um, so yeah, so all the drinks are based on spices. The name of the drink, the name of the spices, and uh, that makes things very easy and very uh, playful. Uh, Danico, we open in a, a very old uh, arcade gallery in Paris. That's a monument. Uh, we took over like we, there's a restaurant, so it's inside a restaurant called Daroco which is an Italian trattoria and a very, very busy restaurant. We, we took over the Jean-Paul Gaultier uh, flagship showroom. Uh, so it was, uh, when they got the location, I was pretty amazed. And uh, we, we decided to do something more like, you know, like not on a classic style in a drink, but n- no concept, more like a hotel bar, I will say a little bit. Uh, there's no like crazy party in it. Uh, we still have a lab, so the drinks are quite, you know, like uh, worked. We work on the drinks with the centrifuge and all the stuff. And uh, Kaido, Kaido is uh, so Kaido is the the, the baby of uh, you know Brad Kilgore is one of the most talented chefs. Uh, when I went to his restaurant in Miami, Alter had one of the best tasting menu I ever had, and I, I go to quite a lot of restaurants. So I was like, fuck, and uh, we became friends. Uh, we start partying together, and then he, he asked me to open something with him in a design district. Uh, Kaido is a uh, some people say it's like a Japanese bar, but it's not at all. It's more like Asian influence with a big, big Japanese influence for sure. But we use a lot. Of, we use a lot of Japanese ingredients. That's that's. I will say it's the the only thing uh, that's Japanese. Uh, the design reminds a little bit of the uh, punk bars in Tokyo. But uh, but you know, you have to see the design. It's beautiful. Yeah, there's a secret bar as well called Ama. Uh, we have a big chandelier with more than 1,000 uh, butterfly knife that's hanging on the top of the bar. So it's a beautiful space, and uh, Brad is doing the food, I'm doing the drink. Uh-huh. You mentioned uh, Centrifuge. 
I think these days it's such a big thing to have this equipment like Rotovaps and having to make all these crazy infusions. It's changed the industry a lot in the last few years. But I think we're nearly at a point of where can we go next? What's your view on that? Well, first, before going next, I think everyone should know, know how to use the centrifusion, the Rotovap. Uh, I see a lot of people uh, buying some, but they don't really know how to use it. So it's a lot of equipment. It's not it's not like a shaker, so you need to know how to use them. So I think people should, should if they start going in that direction, to have a lab uh, to really uh, master all those equipment because you can do a lot of stuff with it. You know, like I, I really love it because it just put the, the, the cocktail and the flavor to the next step. Uh, I love classic cocktail bar, you know, like like place like Attaboy or Everlate in, uh, in Melbourne. We have a lot of fantastic where they focus, you know, on, on spirits and ice and it's great and I love it. I think as well, you know, like uh, now with the help of a lab, uh, you can achieve flavors that you couldn't uh, just with the bottle on the shelf. Um, in, in a bar world, you need a bit of everything. You need dye bar, you need classic bar, you need more like molecular bar. I think that's the beauty of uh, our industry. So, and 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 I really like it. You know, you can really do crazy stuff like focus. Take take a horseradish for example. If you infuse horseradish in any spirit, you're gonna get that bitterness. That's really not. You don't want that. But with a rod of that, you're gonna just extract the clean flavor out of it and make like a fantastic infusion. So we, we've all those tools, you know, acid modification, we've like fermentation now, you have sonic prep. Uh, if you know how to use them, you can really, really do great things with it. Right, okay. I mean, you're very well known for your infusions, particularly Pandan. <laughs> yeah. I know you have quite a fond love for the ingredient. Where did this come from? Where did you learn about Pandan? Uh, well, you know, without, without knowing, I was always like, I love coconut. You know, coconut was always my favorite yeah. flavor. And when I was subscribing in Indonesia and Southeast Asia, um, there's always like that green stuff. I didn't know what it was and I loved it. It's the perfect combination with, uh, with, uh, with coconut. And I was always eating those, you know, like sticky rice, glutinous rice, uh, cakes, because I, I, I have a sweet tooth. So, and when I went to London, uh, Tor Berquist, uh, bartender used to work at Derome in Melbourne and Tipping Club, uh, made a, a garnish with pandan. I was like, fuck, that's that flavor that, uh, and since that day, I just just got hooked on that flavor. So I start, and I think it's so complex because if it's very easy to infuse, and it gives such a long finish and complexity uh, that no ingredient can have. Uh, so of course, uh, you know, like I start putting that uh, in, in a lot of drinks. There is a few articles talking mentioning it, like the New York Times, and then I even receive an official letter from the Philippine Embassy saying like, oh, thank you, we saw an article about you in New York Times and Pandan. Pandan is from Philippines, so it got a bit crazy. It got crazy, but uh, yeah, they even call me the Pandasador. No, it's like, like half, uh, half a joke. Yeah, 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 but you know, like yeah, it's uh, I really love that flavor. It's like coconut, you know, like coconut. Is, I was well, this, those two things, and that, that's the thing with with me. Like, like when we were in uh, in Australia, she exactly loved the same. She puts like Coco Lopez in all or drink in a competition. So we have kind of uh, love for those two flavors. Uh huh. Okay. I mean, where does your inspiration come with the cocktails? I'm just looking at one now. The Christmas carrot barrel, which has mm -hmm. blended rums, coconut water, carrot, cream cheese, lemon milk. How did you come out of this and, and find a way to balance it all? Well, balance, you know, balance of drink, I always think of drink like uh, a bit of the nerdy way, like mathematics. You know, I think if you know all the skeletons of drinks and you know the ingredients, it's pretty easy to draw a menu. Um, but uh, for I uh, just take inspiration from food like that. That is just inspiration from a, a carrot cake with crunches on it that I had. Uh, that was just so good. So I start from there and start built ingredients uh, from that. And we did a milk punch with it, which is a clarified milk punch, which is, have such layers and, 
and Mouthfield, that's it's an amazing drink. Uh, but yeah, I get inspiration for food. You know, I'm, I'm always taking notes uh, when I go to restaurants because um, I think that's where you can find the craziest combination and they, they master it. Uh, so I always have, I have a file with like, you know, like some combination flavors. And then we will, when I when I do a menu, I'm not doing like, okay, I'm going to make a twist of a Manhattan, a, a twist of Negroni. No, no. I start from the flavors and then, then I from there I will arrive most of the time, yeah, two twists of a classic, but I start the other way around flavors and direction, and then coming back to either like third, second, rye, aquavit. Yeah, I agree. You know, I have a feeling the chef and world were quite far ahead compared to the beverage world for a long time, but we're catching up, you know. Oh, they are. They are, they are, and they, they are, and they always be, you know, they always be. They, we don't have the same uh, budget as well, we don't have the same years and years studying flavors. Uh, look at Noma, you know, they have, they have a team working on just, you know, like concepts uh, all year round, where a bartender has to split that with the time he's behind the bar. It's just not the same stuff. Uh, they have so many methods, uh, so many, you know, like machine that we don't have. Uh, we can approach, we can go close to it. Look at the, the book, the aviary book. I think it's very interesting because all those recipes are made with the help of a chef, with the mind of a chef. So, so you have all those little steps that we tend to forget or we don't know as a bartender, like blanching, uh, you know, like leaves. Uh, I, it, it really opens the, the mind to, uh, to how far you can go to get like the right, the perfect taste, you know, of each ingredient. I mean, I think times have changed, whereas before when you make a cocktail, you know, you throw some leaves in the tin, shake it, there's your drink. But we had this focus on sustainability, like, which has helped with infusions, for instance we're being less wasteful because the flavor can now be taken further. Mm -hmm. Sustainability is such a huge topic. I mean, in England, for instance, the ban on plastic straws is great, but what mm. other things can we be doing in the industry to be more sustainably minded? I mean, you, you, there's so much you can do. Huh? You have to, you have to uh, use as much as you can of what you will go to the waste to do, you know, like uh, any garnish. Or what. One of my barbacks does like, we, we do a meat punch with, uh, with berries. Uh, and in uh, it took that, you know, that, stuff with the curdle that was uh, at the bottom of the bag and dehydrated to make a garnish, you know, like uh, for, for a drink. Um, some people tend to use less lime and lemon and add acids, use acid to, to, to have less weight, uh, you know, like any, any, and to have at the least of possible of trash, you know, like uh, those guys at Tiki Trash are doing well job. Uh, you have like uh, guys at Hancock, you have native uh, they use they use the ways to do some paintings to do stuff on the wall. It's it's, it's pretty amazing. So yeah, I, th I think it's uh, the the ban of the straw is just the first step, and I think you know we we had to do that. Uh, I don't think people always talk about that, but that should should go further than that. You know, like if you go to Bali, Bali is a good example. Bali just banned plastic bags and banned straws. There's still still ton of shit everywhere. They should start cleaning the street. I mean, there's so much work to do. Uh, with all the shit we, we throw uh, by the window, you know, so so it's a it's a good start, it's a good step, but I think yeah, yeah to 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 really make an impact, uh, we have to double effort uh, in, in that way. Good, good. Talking about Bali, actually, you've just been there and a few other places in the last few weeks. How do you keep your well-being intact with all that traveling? I'm 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 pretty well organizing well structures. Uh, I I do. I still try to do four or five times CrossFit, even when I travel. 
uh, always find I'm not crazy creepy big you always find a gym always you know like so it's it's just a matter of motivation to to wake you up and just move your ass to do a little sport it's very important uh, when I'm home in New York or Paris I, I count my calories I eat a lot of veggies uh, I really pay attention to my to my uh, to my food I always take like supplements when I travel lot of stuff, you know, make fistel all year long for the liver. Uh, it's just like, as I said, I did some nutrition science studies. So I quite know a lot about all that. And, uh, and I really, because I'm a heavy drinker as well, you know, like uh, when, I, when I travel, I can do, I think, yeah, it's part of the job. And I, I like it as well. You know, you travel, you go to all the cities and you meet all your friends, bartenders. And yeah, you want to drink and to come to party. You want to try what they have on their bar and they don't sell kale smoothies, you know, they sell alcohol. So... <laughs> It's it's a balance of what you do at home and what you do when you travel. Yes, on travel, uh, there's a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, but as soon as I'm home, I'm very, very strict and healthy. And uh, yeah, and it's been it's been a lot of travel. I think this year I've been I've been to 25 countries. It's more than 70 flights. It's, I think it's more than 70 cities. So it's been a heavy, heavy year. I did 25 vacations this year. Uh, I won't do it as much next year, to be honest, because I think it's really taxing. But it's been a great year traveling. Great. And what's your favorite place? Where it feels like home for you? But home, you know, like home is will be always Paris because it's where my family is and where I'm born in that area. But uh, I, I'm, I, I really love New York. New York is still my favorite city in the world. Uh, I, I'm crazy about Bali and Singapore. Uh, those two cities, I love Hong Kong as well. Uh, such such a good vibe, you know, like so those places I can go like several times a a year and I'm very happy to go back all the time. Tokyo as well, you know, like all the, there's such, there's such an energy right now on, on the, on the food and the beverage industry in Asia. So many things happening right now that makes you want to do something there, you know, like wants to be part of it. Absolutely. I think Asia's just caught up to the biggest cities like London, New York, for instance, even here in Bangkok, we have some incredible bars. Do you think Asia is going to be taking over a bit in the future? No, Asia is taking over. <laughs> yes, Asia, what's happening in Asia is far more. It's far more in- interesting. That's what what's happening in New York right now. Uh, even if New York is New York, even if it's a great scene, it has such a history. I think it's 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 been years that not much is not much is happening going. Not much is going on anymore. Uh, there's a lack of creativity. I think it's New York. Like when you go to Asia, you're like fuck, like. And, and there's been an article where, you know, the guys from New York will say, oh, no, no, we, it's a great scene. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of fantastic neighborhood bar. Uh, but I think in terms of creativity, you have, they have to look what's going on in Singapore. They have to look what's going on yeah, in Bangkok. Bangkok, I know there's like five, six bars opening uh, very soon. Uh, there's a lot of Bangkok will be like the, the next one, you know, after, after Singapore and, uh, and Hong Kong. Uh, Manila, I think, is on the, on the rise as well. Uh, I was there recently, so you know th- those big cities are like uh, taking over, and uh, and yeah, I think you know like it's very it's very inspiring how fast things can happen. Uh, China as well is flooding. You see like Guangzhou, like Shenzhen, Shenzhen. You don't know what's happening there. Soon it's going to be crazy. They, they are trying to bring all the the Michelin star chef and a lot of good, very good bar to make the, the city uh, more attractive because right now it's a bit uh, it's a big uh, work city but uh, I heard a bit boring so they want to, to to change that and and that's just two of the cities in China that are crazy crazy developing and where you have a big budget and a lot of people with money to drink as well. Okay, fantastic. So Nika, what's next? You have three bars. You're traveling the world. Is there another big project in the works? Another bar, maybe? Yeah, there's, there's some stuff here and there, you know. Like, uh, so so this this more happening in Paris. Uh, we're looking for for more location, but that's, that's more on the restaurant side because you know I'm part of the Daroco restaurant as well. 
uh, we have already two, so we're, we're looking to open more more places. Uh, there could be something in in uh, in, in Asia, you know. Like I, I, I'm gonna talk with some people. I just want to make sure I'm. And you know, if I do something, I have to focus on it. And uh, it's it's the more you do, and the less you focus on your bar. So that's right now. That's the what I'm wondering. Maybe I won't do anything there. Maybe I'll do something there. Uh, let's see. It's, it depends as well on Thibaut, my bar manager, because if, if he wants to make the step there and open there, it will be, it makes things easier. So it's, it's just thing, you know, a lot of things right now. Like I got some stuff, the composition in Shanghai, in China, in Singapore. I, I got uh, something as well that could happen in Bali. But it's just a matter of just not jumping and saying yes, because I want to open something there, but just really thinking, can I do it? Can I do it? Sure. And do you have any advice for aspiring bartenders who might want to open a bar in the future? Well, first, they shouldn't open a bar after working behind a bar after two years. You know, I understand like it's very tempting. You see all the guys like me, like Salek Ratena, like all those guys traveling all around the world and doing stuff. Yeah, but we work ourselves before being getting there. You know, like we we we, we did like barbacking like behind the bar for for a while, and then we opened our own place. So that's first. You know, like some some young guys come to me and say, "Oh, I want to work in your bar because you do fat wash." But you ask them, "What's the process of distillation?" They don't even know. So you know, learn, learn your basic, learn your base. You know, it's like when you're in a restaurant, you don't, you don't, you don't go to the past right away. You just cut potatoes for a while before, and you make your way up. And it's exactly the same for a bar. Be a good host, be a good bartender, be a good barber. Just make your time, and then maybe open your bar. And even if you open your bar, don't don't think you're gonna get it's the the door of craziness. Like opening a bar is very hard. You're kind of the, a slave of your bar. Uh, you don't necessarily make more money having a bar because unless you put the whole money from your pocket, uh, you know, you have investors, they have a big share. So it's just don't go too fast. That's what, all I will say. Don't go too fast. Brilliant. Nico, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was great to hear about you and your history and, and have fun with the Christmas concept at Mace. Yeah, yeah that, it's, it's going to be it's going to be running for months and a half now. Uh, I mean, we have a good team, like, uh, it's, it's a bit insane, but we have a uh, intense, but uh, yeah, we have a good team running it. Uh, I'm going to Miami next week for Art Basel. So same with changing the menu at Cato and Art Basel, it's a good moment. We have a lot of events. And then I'll be back in Paris. And, uh, have a, a last trip in Kazakhstan. And then that's it. The end of the year. The end of the year. Great. Well, enjoy. Thanks for being here. Talk soon, Nico. Thank you. So that's everything guys, really hope you enjoyed the show and you'll be joining us next week where we have Cha Cha. Cha Cha is the beverage manager of three fine establishments in Bangkok. Uh, these are Rabbit's Hole, Crimson Room and Liberation. She's a great girl and uh, really looking forward to talking to her. So yeah, enjoy your weekend and see you next week. <laughs>